Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. You've ever grappled with failure, judgment from others, anxiety, all of those patterns that come from quite a young age, and you're going to love this episode with Andrew Pierce. It's like a backpedaling through his life from all the different scenarios. It was really cool, actually. I hadn't done one like that before, starting with the struggles in his business where he basically went into debt just to get by and continue the business going and continue to live where he's living, not having to move back home with his parents and how he managed to learn so much through that time. It's often in our darkest times that we do so much learning and what he learned about being able to detach from the outcomes of the future to be able to deal with whatever blocks were going on and then learn to be able to manifest everything he needed to not just make his business a success, but to make his life successful. Enjoy this. You're going to get a heap about bringing more of what you want into your life and being able to remove the resistance that might be stopping that from happening. Welcome this week's guest, Andrew Pierce. How are you, Andrew? Good, thank you, Ian. How are you, mate? Very well, thank you. You're, you, you're in Bali now, right? Yes, correct, in Uluwatu uh, in Bali. Yeah, nice. Uh, for the long-time listeners, I've shared a couple of my experiences in Bali. What has been the most profound experience you've had while you've been living there in Bali? The most profound experience I've had whilst living here in Bali? Um, I'll, before getting into the, that one, I'll, I'll say I've, 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 I got into golf when I, during COVID, at the start I was in Melbourne, yeah. um, and I played a lot of golf here, which has been profound in its ways, like the, the impact it's had on my life. Um, and that's been a damn good time. I love I love being a golfer now, and that's the big part of my here, life here in Bali. Uh, and it, it's certainly, actually, it's, it's certainly supported through this profound time of my life, which which kicked off at the end of 2020. So I had the first uh, first six months of COVID, so pretty much end of March to middle of October in in Melbourne at my folks' place in a place called the Dandenong Ranges. Beautiful area, hills and trees. was not a bad place to be for COVID at all. And, in fact, at the start of it, going into COVID, I had about $100 to $200 in my bank account. And so part of me certainly felt this sense of 
relief and safety of like, oh, I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I can't spend the money. I'm yeah. living here at my parents because of whatever, because of COVID. So there was, there was an element of just like my bank account. Yeah. I didn't need to be found out about it or, or something of that nature because I mean, rent was paid. I, I paid my way with food and stuff like that. But there was a sense of a, of, of being held and support, uh, supported yeah. nice. at, at the start. Um, and uh, I ended up having a good, good 2020. Started to, you know, at, at the time, my uh, as a, working as a coach, at the time, my internal narrative was I. I need to get more specific on who my ideal client is. That's what's going to be the, what brings them in. And my body, my intuition was just like, no, nah, mate, you just need to have belief, more belief in what you already know rather than the acquiring of more information. And so anyways, that led to a, a good 2020. And then um, the next year the next year kicked off and I was, I was back in Bali October 2020. And a mate of mine was doing really well in his business, business running uh, weekly webinars. And I was like, "All right, I've, I've, you know, I want to time to, um, time to ramp up the business." And there was still some tiredness in my body that I hadn't addressed, but there was still some push and force that took place in in uh, twenty twenty. And I didn't want to do that, but the low-hanging fruit, the shiny thing of the idea of diving in and launching into webinars that my mate could teach me exactly how he did it, everything like that. I went after that for a period of time until it came to a point where I was just like, oh, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I just want to manifest things into my life. I just want, I just want them to pop in. That was my desire. I just yeah. want them to pop in. I want them to show up. And I committed to that in a way that I hadn't committed to it before. And uh, so I wasn't doing a whole lot in business and then a whole lot wasn't happening in business either. As I was, you know, I like to think that people who burn themselves out and push and force create from the sheer will to push and force, which does, it does work. There's no denying that it works in, in life. Yet I think you just push over the top of your doubts and your limiting beliefs and your insecurities. There's actually never any resolution with them. So that yeah. when you do decide to slow down and be with yourself, you've got to be with those beliefs, which at the time aren't, aren't magnetizing beliefs. You know, if you've always created yeah. from will and push and force, um, you've never taken the time to really cultivate some some magnifying, well, magnetizing beliefs. Yeah, I love that. And the other thing that uh, comes to mind is that it comes at a cost, right? The, the push and the and the force is always going to come to a cost, either for you or for the people around you. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I was like, I just don't want to be doing that anymore. You know, I yeah. want to, I want to manifest in the way that I talk that I talk about. You know, so there was a bit of incongruency there. And, um, yeah, so I felt this, I could feel this sense of, of peace in the body that I was trusting. And I was focusing on continuing to cultivate inner peace, going along the, the philosophy of 
don't wait for everything to fall into place to be at peace. Be at peace and everything will fall into into place. Nice. And uh, so there was, I had a little, you know, meditation program for 179 bucks that was making a sale every now and then, but not a, but not a whole lot. Um, and so my savings were dwindling. I uh, had invest, you know, recently invested in some, some crypto and, and that went up, but then I had to, had to make those, I had to sell it to be able to pay rent. And so external resources were just dwindling. Yeah. And I found myself in, uh, yeah, early to mid 2021, um, yeah, on the credit card at one point and, yeah, and wow. being in a position where I didn't have a whole lot of friends in Bali at the time. And the friends that I did have were, ju were just like one-to-one -one hangs rather than a, a group environment, which I have grown up with a lot of friends, a lot of great relationships, a lot of groups and then dynamics within the dynamic and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I had to confront and address the reality of the situation and, and think, think, Jesus, mate, how, how have I got myself here? Here I am, single, money's dwindling, now on the credit card, the, lone, the, the most alone physically that I've ever been in life, not much going on at all in business. And, uh, you know, the question that, that was in my mind was like, am I that loser in the group that can't get it together? Yeah, wow. And like, am I that guy in, in life who can't get it together? And being having the insights that I have around life, I'm like, well, if I'm asking that question, that means that I do feel that way. If I'm hmm. asking if I am that loser, it's because I already feel that way. Yeah, yeah. So I awesome. have to confront and look at those parts of myself and be like, yeah, man, I just feel like this loser that can't get it together and I'm meant to be some life coach, you know? <sighs> That's that's a powerful thought right there. Is like if you're already thinking it, then there's party that already believes that to be true. That's a that's a good one. So yeah, I'll let you continue because because those that that's resonating with are going to be like, okay, that's great, but how do I come out the other side? Yeah, totally. And just to add to that insight, it's it's a thing that I've called uh, crafted called future fears. If you're fearing it, you're feeling it. So if ever someone goes, oh, I'm just wondering if I'm doing the wrong thing. It's because they feel like they're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Or if someone's not taking action and they and they say, I don't want to do that because I don't want to feel like an idiot. It's like you already feel like an idiot. That's just how crafty and how good the ego is at its job. It goes not, not feeling it now, projects it out into the future and fears it instead of feeling it. Yeah. And it's, just, it's so insightful. It's so quick and it just takes you to exactly where you need to be in your body. Yeah, and... And that projection brings with it the attraction to external results that prove your belief. Yes. Yeah. Life. <laughs> Life. Exactly. <laughs> um, so what really helped me throughout the process was I know how to, to be with emotion and release it and, and, and I've got the willingness and the honesty to confront those parts of myself. Um, and something that really helped was the, the willingness to 
fail. Like I was like, it would suck. It would suck to either have to ask because I borrowed money off mum and dad before. It would suck to have to ask for some more or and or it would suck to have to ask for some cash to buy a ticket to go home and then to actually go home and then to get a job. Yet I just knew, I'm like, that would suck and I most certainly do not want to do it. Yet I knew at the time, I'm like, I know that I can handle those emotions. I can handle the shame. I can handle the embarrassment. I can handle the insecurity. And I'm willing to do that if that's what it takes. And I'm in this for the long game. This is, would just be part of the process. I would get a job. I'd make some money. And I would keep going with the business until I got to a point that I could get a ticket, take myself back to to Bali to where I want to be. And so throughout the process, despite the fact that the external world didn't seem to be working in terms of reflecting back my internal efforts, I kept through the practice of surrender, just cultivating a deeper and deeper connection to a felt sense of, of inner peace and a trust of that inner peace. And just like a, you know, in a way, a, a defiant, stubborn, willingness and commitment to that um you know even if i had my doubts of will this work or not i was like i'm 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 sticking with it and so one of the insights that i teach around emotional release which is which changes the way that you relate to fear um which is very important one of my core teachings is addressing the fear of fear you know you can have a fear of fear and be an addict on the street or a multi-millionaire CEO in the office. Either way, if there's a strong fear of fear and a lack of one's ability to be with themselves, we're going to dysfunctionally distract. Some people distract in a more functional or successful way, let's say, than others, but it's still coming from the fear of fear. And so what helped me through this time when doubts, insecurities, I'm a loser, I can't get it together, uncertainty was coming up, is, is um, what's coming up is coming up to leave. What happens is when something like that comes up in our body, it feels like it's coming up to happen, to actualize, to ruin our efforts, to manifest. And so what do we do when it feels that way? We get scared of it and we fight back against it. What we fight, we feed, energies we resist persists. So throughout that time, coupled with the willingness um, and I mean, I could talk for hours on all the, the other little subtleties and nuances, yeah. coupled with the willingness and the, the, the determination uh, and the cultivating the inner peace was the insight that, hey, this is scary and it's uncomfortable and it feels like it's coming up to happen, but what's coming up is coming up to leave. Changed the way I related to everything, was more supportive of me getting out of the way and allowing what is no longer serving and what's not in alignment with my goal to get out of the body. Mm. And that's also a great point. My question is that comes from you having done the learning that you've done, right? So for people that perhaps haven't been through that experience, do you have a moment like thinking back further than that when you, when you had to face that sort of thing and how you learned to overcome that at the sort of start of your journey around the fear? How I learned to 
overcome the fear of fear earlier on yeah. in the days? Yeah. So if, you, if you're, you're talking from a, a moment there where, you know, you're, you're well and truly into your, you've been coaching, you're learning all these different strategies. Yes. Can you take us back to the early days of your coaching so that we can get some insight for people maybe haven't even faced, they, they know that there's fear there, but they haven't actually done any work to be able to move past it. Gotcha. In my early days, I feel that, um, you know, in my early days, for the first few years, things were a lot more cognitive for me. It wasn't till about three years in that I started to get into my body more and be with the emotions that were there. One thing which was really helpful, which is still helpful today, and I think always will be for people, um, came from learning what the big question with fear is, the, the, the classic Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. Uh, she says the big question with fear is can I handle it? And so that insight, that understanding of the big question with fear is can I handle it brought me to the awareness that we are always consciously or unconsciously asking and answering this question. And if you tell yourself that there's something in, in life that's outside of your control that could happen that you can't handle, that answering the question in that way creates anxiety it creates stress it creates fear it gives your power away so in the early days that's that from a cognitive level that was super helpful to be like i can handle it and whenever i say that i can't it's not that i can't handle to handle it's just that i i don't want to have to and that's okay as well there's plenty of things i don't want to have to handle yet i really begun to choose to believe that I can handle it because I also had a belief that life brings things into my experience for the purpose of growth and evolution. Therefore, it just doesn't make sense to me that life would ever bring in something that I can't handle. Love so that. in the early days, the statement, I can handle it, with the foundational teaching that I just shared to really give it some oomph, because um, someone can just say, I can handle, I can handle, I can handle it, but if they don't have the the why under uh, beneath why it's valuable and important to, to share it, it, it lacks that real intention and, and oomph. So back in the early days, I can handle it. Uh, like I said, which helped. If I have to go back to Melbourne, it's going to suck, but I can handle it. Um, so there, there's a perfect example of learning this in 2014 and then it being applied seven years later in 2021. Yeah, so good. Yeah, because there's a lot of that sort of throwaway lines in the personal growth space, isn't there? Like, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, if if it's if it's come to you, you're ready to handle it. Okay, great. But then, how do I actually do that? So, I love that yes. you've given us concrete steps that we can actually take there. That's that's good. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure. So, okay, if you were at that position where you were ready to handle it, and you knew you'd be able to deal with whatever emotions came up having to go back home, why why did it suck, the thought of having to go back home? What was the main things that you were worried you would miss if you if you had to take that step back? Or were they not even real? Were they more created fears? The thing that would have sucked the most would have been uh, embarrassment. That's what would have sucked the most. Uh, not so much really, there was never really a thought of what I would miss in Bali. 
but it would just be the embarrassment of temporary failure is what would suck the most. Because you've told people what you're doing and then here you are having to change direction because it hasn't worked, that sort of thing. Yeah, here I am seven years into to coaching, four or five years into full-time and I've ran out of money. That's what would have sucked the most was the embarrassment of temporary failure and this yeah. kind of sense of like I couldn't, I haven't been able to figure that piece out or I couldn't do that piece or... That's what would have sucked the most, man. Would have just been like, shit. <laughs> like, yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing back here, mate? Just a visit? Been like, nah, man. I, I ran out of money. <laughs> and that's a great point because I reckon that's what stops people from even taking action in the first place. Oh yeah. Like, they they think about well, what if I stuff it up? What will people say? What will people think? It's like, yeah. What if? You just did it for you and you didn't worry about what people think. Like you were talking about before around that ego, the way you're looking at it from an ego perspective. What if you just looked at it from your own personal perspective and decided, well, I need this more than the pain of what it might be like if I don't get it. Yeah. So if we feel like we're going to be backpedaling a bit from, from here, that moment, and actually, that moment that you described when you were talking about where you've sort of gone to the wall financially, you're feeling like you're you're alone. Before we jumped on, you said, "Oh, I don't feel like I've got these massive moments of of grief." You've been through all these different moments, but to me, that one you described there, for anyone who's ever been that through that similar moment and I know I have I, for me it was a couple of years about 2019 I can remember just being on the lounge room floor just like so emotional going like how did I get here I'm flogging myself things aren't working and never felt more alone so mm. in that moment right you're just like for me it was like I, I can't do this on my own so what were the steps you took from that moment to actually get yourself out the other side the steps that I took in the moment from the moment was a continued practice of opening my body up to whatever was there and surrender. And so surrender is to stop fighting. And like you said, in personal development, there is a lot of these throwaway one-liners. Oh, you've just got to love yourself. You've just got to let go. You need to surrender to that. And the question is like, yeah, that's great and all, but, you know, how the fuck do you do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so when I say that, what's important and what helps is if someone's telling you to surrender and to surrender is to stop fighting, what that shows you is that in one way or another, you're fighting against something. If someone tells you to let, you've got to let go, then that shows you that there's something that's been held on to. And so in the, in the moment of, of, of being on the card, um, yeah, been the most alone that I that I've been with the amount of friends, and having like having these feelings come up that felt so true that I actually am. You know, it's not just this kind of is that is that a possible belief, but it felt true that I'm this this loser who not only can't get his stuff together, but that potentially will have a lifetime of never being able to get his stuff together. Um, That's a big one. Practice. Yeah. 
Yeah. When it comes to surrender, ultimately people need to be willing to surrender to the fear of being stuck forever, which is scary. I was just flicking through your post before we came on and you post exactly on that point. Yes. The reason we think things are so bad is because there's part of us that thinks this moment's going to be forever. And yes. To me, that's that's more than a throwaway line. That's like that's profound shift in thinking. Is just 100%. reminding yourself that the the permanency of this is is just false. Yes. And I think, yeah. for particularly thinking about how many men are taking their own lives, it's from that thought, the thought of yep. well, this won't ever go away. So how do you help? people to shift away from that feeling that it is permanent that, it, that it's not going to move because it's all well and good to say well just know that it's not like what what are actually the steps so they can have the belief that it actually will pass for sure so the steps are if you think if you put your hand over if let's say there's a tennis ball that's just floating on the surface of the water yep and it it's it's about to flow downstream but you put your hand over the top of it and push it under the water. There's going to be a downward force and an upward force, the natural buoyancy of the tennis ball and the downward force of your hand. And whilst your hand is in that position, the tennis ball cannot go anywhere. And so same goes for our emotions. Emotion is energy in motion. When we fight against it, push down onto it, try to force it away to get rid of it, we plant it firmly in place. If I were to remove my tennis ball, my hand from the over the top of that tennis ball, I don't need to direct it, force it, push it, yell it, nothing. It, it will simply float to the surface and then drift on down the stream of its own accord. So again, to surrender is to stop fighting. So then the more nuanced stuff that I teach people is like, all right, let's First off, bring your awareness to the fight that is taking place within your body. Can you feel the anxiousness? Can you feel the doubt? Can you feel the worry? Yes. Can you also tune into the fact, which every single person has the ability to do this, can you tune into the fact that you're fighting against it? Can you feel like that tightness and that tension? That's your pushing back. And so I, once the fight has been identified, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I'm aware of the fight. I'm like, great, push a little harder, ease back, push a little harder, ease back, go back to where you started. It brings the person's awareness to the fact that they're doing the fight rather than experiencing themselves as a victim to the emotion. Even if the person is so far from consciously identifying as a victim, it still feels like, oh, man, this emotion's here to get me and I don't know what, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to have to fight back. Yeah. Once you've got a felt sense of the fight, it also gives you a felt sense of, oh, if this is what fighting is, then this is what surrender must be. And once you're here, you're not fighting, your body is open, there is a space for the emotion to move through. If you think about a one-way street of cars and you're standing at the top yelling at all of them to turn around and you've got one car that's beeping yeah. because it can't move, now there's two cars that's beeping, three cars that's beeping, four cars that's beeping, it's overwhelming, it's drawing attention, all this type of stuff, but you're in the way, not, not letting them move through, then they're not going to move through. But as soon as you get out of the middle of the road and stand on the sidewalk, they're going to drive past. Now, as they drive past, they might 
throw her, uh, words of abuse at you and you've got to cop it. But as it goes, it goes. So this is the reason that I share that is as emotion comes up, you're going to have to be with the discomfort of it. And as it comes up, <clears throat> as you open up to it, it's, it's likely going to get more intense, more deep, more dark, more uncertain than it currently is. You have to be willing to ride through it because if you're not willing, you'll shut it down and it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay there. So in these moments of going into the depths and the darkness of, my, of, my, of myself, I, I, I have this in mind. I, I, know, I know that the grass is always greener on the other side of letting go. I believe that if I were to surrender everything over to life, I would, uh, I would result, I would wind up at being an enlightened being. So it's also, it's safe to let go. It's also, it's, and I share that, if it's safe to let go, that shows us that letting go feels quite unsafe because yeah. what we've been holding on to is familiar, it's certain, it's known. So then the question is, how willing are you to feel unsafe in the letting go process? If you're not willing to feel unsafe, you're going to shut down. If you are willing to face it, you'll open up. So there's no doubt there's plenty of people who are going to listen to this who have done a lot of personal development in their life. They've got a lot of insights, a lot of perspectives, but they still feel stuck. They're lacking willingness to go to the depths and to feel the discomfort. They don't need new information. They need, they need to inject more willingness into what they already know. And that's what I had throughout that time in 2020 was like, I said to you, I'm like the embarrassment of going back would suck, yet I was willing to face that embarrassment if it was if it was required to do so. And that helped me to stick my course of surrender and release, which ultimately wound me up on the other side where clients and money started coming in. Love that. And I did a individual episode on that the other day around that willingness to be uncomfortable because it's it's just a critical skill. And that's not force. It's seeing that there is something that in the past has stopped you, but it's that like will, willpower is limited, right? It's not a, it's not a uh, infinite resource, but we do have the ability to engage it and, and to be able to, even though it's uncomfortable, move past it. And usually it's those darkest moments that force us to, right? Because the alternative is, well, if I don't do this, then what? Mm-hmm. I also love that you talked about the the contrast there the, when you were describing the pushing the ball down. It's like feeling what the battle's like and then in the same moment feeling what the surrender's like and you've got a choice. Yes. And, and being able to recognise both sides is just so powerful. That's a great description. It's thank you, mate. It, it, it's so powerful, and it's it's like if I'm someone teaching someone how do I open up my body, first thing I get them to tune into is how they do being closed off. And if it's on a call or whatever, I'm like represented. Some people are arms crossed, some people are like this, yeah, yeah. and then they they tune into the felt sense of what it is, and because life already knows how to surrender and already to open, every single person has that innate knowledge and wisdom within them. I just help direct them towards what's already there. 
Yeah, I love that. And and as you know, there's too many people in our space who are telling people how to think, how they should do things and, and what they have to do, right? But it's like, no, you need to, as you described there, empower them to find what works for them because trying yes. to, that's just another form of force is trying to do something other people's ways. Um, totally. If I can bring you back to, to Bali and ask you about the profound moment, like, and to me, from the moment I sort of set foot in the place, it was like, it was just, it just felt different, right? And then visiting different healers and having different experiences. I was there for two weeks with a, with a, on a retreat as well. So there was like, those things were built in. But even moments like closing my eyes one night and sort of feeling everything spin. And, and it wasn't like my mind was like, everything was turning. Like I got a visual of it. I was like, literally felt like I was on a carousel. Like, what moments like that have you had over there that that have just been nothing that you could have ever imagined? Yeah, what moments have I had over here? For me, they've mostly come on on the on the other side of, of emotional release and letting go, where there's been just a, a peace and a stillness and a presence and a a real, yeah, open heart for the experience that I am, for, that I am having. Um, where I'm like, okay, you know, I am, I am here in in Bali and living this life and having this time, and and there's the pros and cons, there's the goods and bads, and 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 yet, you know, I, there was one moment where I was, I was laying in bed and. Looking out my, looking out the window, or looking out the, the doors, and just clear blue sky, and there were some some birds off in the distance, yeah. which gave me a sense of depth perception. That for, for whatever real reason, just yeah, just gave me a nice, open-bodied feeling of peace and freedom. Um, that was that was quite enjoyable. So that's that's really the, the the vibes that I get here every now and then. Yeah, and you're not going to get that staring out the window here and where I am in suburbia or <laughs> where most people are, right? Like there's something about, I mean, even now, like the background noise, you, you're probably oblivious to it because it's just part of it. But the the rooster crowing and, and it's like it's 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 rural, but it's not at the same time because it's you just got you got to go ten meters and you're in hustle and bustle of of Bali. Yeah. That's the beauty of it, right? It's it's contrasts. Actually, thinking about it now, it's a contrast we were talking about before. Yes. So, feels like uh, Pulp Fiction. We're we're jumping all over the place. So, yeah. go back to what was the inspiration to go to Bali? Like, you you were you living in the Dandenongs at that point, or you'd already moved out and you were elsewhere in in the world. So the inspiration was I've done a lot of travel in my time. Um, I, I had to have an inspiration to, to get out and see the world and explore things and have, like, to, to live. To re I really feel alive when I'm travelling. I really feel alive when I'm off the beaten track. And and purely being here in Bali, I um, my need of uncertainty is, is ticked. There's a transient feel here that I that I just automatically get that I don't even need to think about, and yeah. so at to, at the time the inspiration was um, 
the inspiration was that I wanted to work online. I wanted to be in a tropical area. I wanted the, the, the adventure of it all. Um, where I was in Melbourne, I was living in Collingwood at the time. So I'd been out of home for about five years, living with some friends. So there was a bit of moving away from pain and moving towards pleasure. There was an element of Melbourne isn't conducive for me to grow into the person that I want to become anymore. I don't want to be in this party environment that I'm in. Yeah. Um, there was also like, oh man, I, yeah, I felt like a bit of a loser. I'm like, oh, I don't want to just live with my mate and his girlfriend for another year. And then there was, you know, I want to, I want to go and experience this, set off on another adventure. And I knew there was a, you know, digital nomad community and space over here. That so there was, there was a bit of drive from from both directions to to make the move. Um, and uh, it's funny how it was made. I, I, at the time, well, it would have been maybe November, yeah, October, November. I'd made a decision to move to Perth to work with a, with a business partner at the, t- at the time and be a bit of his right-hand man. And uh, a friend of mine at the time who's quite psychic was encouraging me to jump on a call and have a conversation with her about it. I'm like, look, I'll jump on a call, but I'm not changing my mind. Decisions made up. An hour later, I decided that I wasn't going to go to Perth and that I was going to move to Bali at the end of uh, at the end of my lease. And these types of moments for me happen pretty boom boom. Like it's just like, all right, decisions made. Um, so that was that was the inspiration. No longer going to Perth, going to Bali at the end of the lease, and um, committed what to did, it. What did she say? I can't remember exactly what was said. There's something on the lines of like, I want to, she's like, you want to be the superstar. Like you want to be the lead and the star of your business. You don't want to be a right-hand man. And you know that, that that's the one thing that stands out. Rest of the conversation. I can't, I can't remember. Um, mm. But um, yeah, I, I just had that felt sense of like, yeah, this is, this is what to do. So that was the inspiration to come over here, man. There was yeah, a bit of motivator from both pain and pleasure. Um and that's that's that started it all. And oh, mate, that's such a great point. I'm getting goosebumps on this. So this is obviously significant. How often in people in business, initially they think they've got to jump into bed with someone to like whether it's right on their coattails or whether it's the safety and security. But ultimately, if you're passionate about doing something, you always going to want to do it your way. Yeah. So tell, talk to us a little bit about that because you don't just make a decision in the moment without doing a fair bit of thought process around it, right? So so when you became created this joint venture, like do you remember what sort of mindset you're in when you when you got started there? Totally. So at the time, it was 2016, and I was working two or three days a week at Woolworths, and then had some had some coaching clients on the side. And um, the this bloke, uh, his name's Calvin, ended up reaching out from Perth. He wanted to. He had a, he had a family member who was going through some anxiety, and he's like, "We got to get some anxiety programs on." And he he already had a successful business, and he reached out looking at a yeah, collaboration and a, and a partnership and so i looked him up and everything i'm like this is pretty cool this is this is quite exciting yeah. uh he was over in melbourne doing some stuff so we we met there uh and then i i flew over to to perth and we had a conversation about how it would all 
get together. So he really had was well more advanced in in the business, the systems, the structure, the marketing side of things. Um, and I I really came in as as talent, I would say, and yeah. that that's how that came about. And I so I ran Anxiety Free. I already had my business called Anxiety Free Living, uh, and then it came under his business like uh, he was running young and wildly successful at the time and like that was the mother company so i still ran anxiety free living but i went in on um on a salary and we had whatever percentage share that we had uh, worked out and so i ran the whole thing but I, i had access to his general manager and assistant and they were paying for marketing, Facebook ads and stuff like that. Nice. But otherwise I had free range in the process of program creation, all that type of stuff. And I still essentially ran the business with that, just that little bit of support on the side. So that's how that came about over a couple of months. I was doing some stuff with them whilst I was still at Woolworths. And then we had my, my full-time date set where I would leave Woolworths and go full-time into anxiety-free living. So he could see in you something at that point where he wanted you to come and present. Was that because he didn't want to be that face out in front or was it because there was something about you that he really recognised that maybe you hadn't recognised yet? So he was the face out in front for his business, Young and Wildly Successful. Incredible speaker, um, really good at what he does. What he was wanting to do was grow fast and expand and he's like – you know, so there was young and wildly successful. Then there was anxiety for a living. It eventually ended up being trying too much at once, too fast that it, that it didn't that it didn't work. Yep. Um, but it was it was here. It was already the face of his thing doing his thing, and um, and he and he thought, how can we get some anxiety programs out into the world because it's needed, and how can I, you know, have someone else do the majority of it. Got it. Yeah. Tell me about anxiety. Was the creation of that program from your own experience of living with it and and learning how to deal with it? Yeah. So for myself, general anxiety, social anxiety was my experience of it. Uh, But someone that would have been like, no one would have really thought thought it. You know, it was kind of was kept under wraps. and so as I then started to learn about and do my life coaching studies at the Coaching Institute, everything that I was learning there, I was applying to myself and getting some great change and getting some great results. And so in terms of the anxiousness that I used to, ex- used to experience, I was like, yeah, there's, you know, there's still moments or there's still stress and stuff like that, but that degree of anxiousness, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it anymore. So I started coaching in 2014 and I think it was the start of 2015 that then, oh, it was maybe six months or a year into 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 it all. Anxiety free living, as the business name, came about, and that's where there was, yeah, one way anxiety coaching, um, then an anxiety program, online program, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and so that's where that all kicked off. I had yeah had my own personal experience with it all. Then as things grew and evolved, I just didn't feel a match as to that's the person that I wanted to be working with anymore. And hence more the stress and the burnout and the performance within the business and entrepreneurial spaces. But yeah, man, definitely 
definitely had my general and uh, social anxiety experiences probably up until about yeah, 20, 25, 26. Yeah. I've, I've been a thing in my life, yeah. you know what I mean? From, from what age did it start? Um, I would say... I would say it was around when I was younger, you know, like five, six, but not, I don't really have strong memories of being like anxious. I'm anxious as a kid. Hmm. Um, more so kind of like 16, going to, going to parties, going to different schools, parties, um, and just noticing some social anxiousness then like, depending on the group or the party, not not wanting to be the first to walk into the party, but would rather walk behind someone else that would then start the handshake chain and I'd just follow suit. Yeah. Um, going out to bars and clubs at times, you know, feeling a bit of anxiousness there. Um, but never anything that was really stifling for me. I still, I mean, I did a 12-month trip around the world when I was 22, 23, had a lot of good friends and played a lot of sports and uh, stuff like that. But the, the like the larger groups, I'd be a lot quieter. Whereas then one to one, people would see me would see me come to life, or in one to two, people would see me come to life, and I'd cultivate friendships that way. Yep. So for me, at times, I was very much wanting to be that fun, confident, jokester guy that you know makes friends with everyone from the word go. Yeah. Um, but that just, just wasn't my experience growing up. Yeah, right. Have you – you've done a fair bit of work on it, obviously, if you then decided, well, I'm going to move on to something else. Do you have any knowledge or awareness around how it started? If, if you're already identifying, looking back, that it was probably from, from quite a young age, was it like it's almost around the start of school time, right? Yeah, there's no defining moment that stands out of just like this – this is it. This is this is when it when it all kicked off or when it all happened. There's 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 nothing like that um, for myself to that have that, that pinpointed. I've done a lot of you know internal exploration within myself. Hmm. I just say a cultivation of life conditioning moments um, that led to judgment. Just judgment on myself. I think. I mean, the whole, everything we do in the coaching industry is the journey to come back to self-love and there were just parts of myself that I was not loving of or insecure about or embarrassed about. And so the, the anxiousness was of them being seen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember working with the guy when I was still in corporate, one of my staff members, and he was he said to me, I've got social anxiety and and for him it was more that, he was just an extreme introvert. The bit that was the same was, like you described, he was trying to be someone that he wasn't. Like he was trying to go out in those social environments and be, I guess it's like uh, what we learn from the programming, from movies, from television, from ads, that this is who you've got to be to have fun. And it gets yeah. drummed in. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not your best strength. Your best strength is actually just sitting there listening, observing, and being able to bounce off different things like that. And like that was really big for him. So for you going through that time, have you, did it allow you a place to explore, to work out, well, 
who am I? Like, who am I in those spaces? Who am I when I'm at my best? Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely, like, that expectation, anything anything less is not enough. So I, there was definitely times where if I was tired, I'd be more anxious going to a social event because I'm like, well, this is going to take more energy for me to meet that expectation to wear this mask. Therefore, there's a greater risk of not meeting it. And so I was more anxious of because the more tired I was, the harder, the more likely I, I just didn't want to talk and just chill. But I was yeah. judgmental of that. Like, mm. and I was also an insight that I love is at the time I was very insecure about being insecure. Yeah. And so if I was then seen in the insecurity, I was insecure about being seen in the security, wouldn't want to be seen as shy, wouldn't want to be seen as quiet, wouldn't want to be seen as insecure, wouldn't want to be seen as anxious. What's he anxious? Like, wow, I must be so insecure if he's anxious just here in this situation. And so something that really helped me is the more secure I've become in insecurity, because I'm still insecure in ways and, and it will continue to happen yeah, for life. We all are, yeah. Totally. That's when I've gotten better at conversation and, and banter and taking the piss and back and forth and having a laugh and connecting with strangers yeah. because acceptance. I haven't had this insecurity of being of the potential of being seen as insecure at some point because there's been a security in that that's 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 had me be more relaxed and calm and um yeah i certainly went through a period as well of giving myself permission to be quiet and not needing to to say much like just to remove you know the the, the self-judgment creates the anxiety the permission relieves the judgment and then all of a sudden there's nothing right or wrong about being quiet or talkative it just is what it is so it, it certainly allowed me to um permission to be permission to flex into being quite talkative permission to flex into being quite quiet permission to be somewhere in the middle uh, really helped me to just feel more and more comfortable within myself and therefore more and more comfortable within a variety of different social contexts yeah i love that the word that you use there judgment it's like that self-judgment right at different times people talk about oh you know fear of other people's judgment but ultimately it comes back to that self-judgment right the the external stuff's just a reflection of of what we think of ourselves and it's amazing through all these different lenses we look at and all the masks you that we wear that you described it still comes back to why why are we so harsh on ourselves why why are we so quick to judge how things are and so i love how you've described that coming back to just acceptance and being able just to say well it's okay to be insecure and i'm going to be okay in that but how do i navigate that yeah you also mentioned a word failure earlier on and you were talking about from that ability to say look at it and go well that's where you get the most growth to me those two words are so intertwined right judgment and, and failure so what have you learned along the journey of, of being a coach the last 10 plus years what have you learned about the importance of overcoming failure and by looking at failure in a different way than perhaps what so many so many of us were had drummed into us at school yes um it's it's you hear it a lot and it's so classic. It's it's where you grow, making the mistakes, making the failures, having the setbacks is where you learn so much of what not to do 
how not to be, how not to react. Um, you know, that's that's where the growth that's where the growth is 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 getting into the discomfort that triggers you and. Then you got to do like as we spoke about surrender and be with those emotions so that they can release. And I think, like I just said, it's like learning what not to do. You're like, all right, by learning ninety things of what not to do, you're closer to the thing to, to do, and that yeah. works. And if yeah. it goes that way for you, it goes that way. Um, so that's what I've learned about failure. And that it is look like to look at it as a temporary thing. If you're in what you're in for the long game, then there is no such thing as a, a full failure. It's a temporary failure. And you can wrap. Here's the thing. You can wrap any perspective around anything that you want. And some people do it in a way that is, is uh, dysfunctional and suppresses their emotions. Some people do it in a way that has them just wallow in them. The, the middle ground is doing it in a way that doesn't have you consumed by them but still open to them to, to move through. And, you know, you can, you can view a divorce as a failure or if you look at life, your entire life until you're dead as the long game, it's just a piece, it's just a piece in the puzzle. You know, it's just a temporary experience in the puzzle that you can, you truly can view whatever way you want to view it because if you view it as a failure that's you doing it anyway like it's still sure there's social conditioning that influences how you view it but at the end of the day if you view something as a failure uh, and even if you know all the facts of reality are saying that's a failure you can still you can still choose to to view it in a different way so i think if you're in it for the long game it's temporary failure and that it, it truly is where you learn and grow mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and practically where you learn what not to do next time. Mm, that's good. So given you help people with the emotional reaction, what advice would you give to them given that there are times where we're looking at failure because, again, we know that the emotional reaction we're going to get if it doesn't happen. It's almost the fear of not the actual failure, but of how it's going to feel, right? So what's the yes. best advice you can give them on how to actually navigate that and be and, and have that willingness to act anyway? Yeah. I think what you shared just there is, is one of the best pieces, that it's not the, the fears of the facts, but the fear of the feelings. And so just that, that in and of itself right there, that insight right there, shifts someone's attention from the end result to being like, ah, okay, it's the feelings that I need to address here. Again, you know, you've got a 50-50 or maybe someone's looking at a bunch of different things. It's like, oh, no, this is what you're most afraid of. And they're like, no, 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 it's this. And you get you just bring them back. No, it's, it's, it's the feelings. Yeah, and yeah. so um, that's why, you know, working with the fear of fear is I think where every single human being should start in their life. Fear and strong feelings are going to be present. If you react to them in a very fearful way, you can be an addict on the street or a burnt out, miserable, hopeless CEO millionaire. Um, and and it's, it's funny that the, the, the more effectively you relate to fear, that's what's going to give it the best opportunity of, of moving through. So be willing to face and feel whatever you need to 
to get what you want and to have what you want. Because if you want to speak your truth, but you're not willing to to risk potential backlash, you'll procrastinate, you'll avoid, you'll sabotage, you'll whatever, for no other reason than you're not willing to face potential backlash. You're not willing to face criticism. You'll tell yourself it's time. You'll tell yourself, I'm not sure if I want to do one-to-one or a group program or I'm not sure if I want to launch a brick-and-mortar business or an online and I'm just trying to figure that. I'm just trying to get more clarity. No, you're just not willing to face potential backlash and so you've created a bunch of stories and different problems for you to stay bogged down in. Yeah, Um, stories. So what I would say... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I would say to that, that person is, is, is be willing. If I wasn't willing to face the embarrassment of having to go back home, I would have been scurrying to find an online job. Yeah, right. Absolutely scurrying because I wasn't, I'm like, no, nah, this can't happen. This cannot happen. I would, have, I would have moved out of the place that I was staying at and gone somewhere way cheaper. I would have stopped playing golf because it's because it's not cheap over here. But here's the thing. The day my credit card came in, boom, the next day, off I went. First fucking thing, get me on the golf course, let's have a round. If I wasn't willing to for, for the embarrassment and the shame of failing and having to go back to Melbourne, my behaviours would have been very different. I would have been very re- reactive to the fear I would have stopped trusting the internal peace that I was cultivating. And like I said, I had a nice place that I was in that I would have gone, uh, nah, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to cut that down to be cheaper. I can't, I can't golf, got to save money on that. Can't be having the beers. And also something I just want to add in um, is that throughout this period, there were plenty of times for the listeners where I was just like, nah, not looking at that. And I just crack a beer and, you know, self, medicate and avoid and distract so i'm certainly not some warrior that's just face the emotion every time sometimes (laughs) you're going to distract hey mate go for it yeah yeah Um, so that's why willingness is so important and and that's uh, i'm glad you asked that question in that way because i could give that example that if i wasn't willing to face the embarrassment and shame of going back home to australia um i would have been behaving a lot different than i was but because i was I stuck at the surrender and the trusting of the internal peace long enough to flush out the beliefs, the doubts, the insecurities that weren't working so that my body then was in alignment and magnetic and magnetizing for the results that I want. And that's why clients, ideas, inspiration eventually did flow in and things turned around. Big old friendship group came in, clients came in, bank account turned around. Nice. Um, but I wouldn't have got there if I wasn't willing to risk potential shame and embarrassment. Yeah, I love that. And and it reminds me of one of the first messages I learned from my first proper coach, and it was way up, what's the worst that could happen in this scenario and what's the best that can happen in this scenario, knowing that neither of those things are going to happen. Most likely you're going to land somewhere in the middle, but it's being prepared to see what it is and acknowledge that that's a reality and be okay with that make peace with that, and then act anyway. Yes. Because then you've got certainty on what what it is. Otherwise, we spend all this time in the creation of what you mentioned before, all those different stories and scenarios of what could be, the fears that come up, 
There's nothing yes. like just taking that moment of clarity, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Tell me, I'm curious about this. Uh, I'm also a coach and I love my golf as well. What what are the parallels that you would draw between golf and coaching? What are the lessons? Yeah, great question. Great sport. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, one that, I, that I, I like is I think that the golf swing um, is quite counterintuitive that the more – here's two to start off with at least – is that smooth smooth goes further than, than hard, you know, that it's like, oh, that doesn't feel like it's going to do anything. And so there's been times in my life where inner peace, gratitude, trust, stillness haven't felt like they're going to do anything. So I, yeah. I haven't trusted them. I, I apply a lot of personal development to my golf swing and ask, what am I not trusting or believing about my swing here? Oh, I don't believe it's going to go far enough. So then I try to compensate for my lack of belief with sheer brute force. What does yeah. that do? Throws the club out you know, wrong wrong swing path, lift up early, eye off the ball. And as I try to bloody force and will will the ball, you know, it comes off every now and then, every now and then. But there is greater risk for mistake, yep. um, far greater risk for mistake, and you only get it every now and then. It's more tiring. It's worse on the body. So the first thing is that it's, it's quite counterintuitive, and so – Sometimes in life, softness is your, is, your, is your power. Stillness, peace is your power rather than feeling fired up and jacked and ready to go all the time. Yeah. And the other thing is that the, the harder I try to hit the ball, the more that throws me out in other areas of the swing. But the more I tell my – the more I line myself up and then no longer be concerned with – uh, let's call it the result, distance or power, and I just focus on good contact, what's in front of me right now, I hit the ball better. So I suppose that's a little bit of a metaphor or analogy for um, do your best to be non-attached to the end result and just be in the moment and the process. Yeah. Because if I'm caught up in trying to hit the ball a certain amount of metres and that's taking me away from the process, that affects the quality of the process, which affects the quality of the end result. 100%. Oh, mate, I hadn't thought about that from that perspective, but you're 100% right. Detach from the outcome and allow the swing to do what it's designed to do, follow the process. Trust the club. And, yeah, <laughs> the trust the, the work, as yeah, yeah. And, and that's true. Like, I probably bang on about that well, enough too often, but I've mentioned it in some of the individual podcasts a heap. It's like the sport psychs, that's what they say, is like the moment you get stuck in outcome, you're already defeated. It's yeah. like you've got to come back. You've got to come back to the process. I don't know if you watch any basketball. The world champs were just on, and, and again, saw Paddy Mills talking about our goal is to win the gold medal. Now that may well be so, but they were just so, you know, this is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to be. And I remember reading they did that last time, and and the the person writing about it was like, they're not going to win the gold medal because they're so focused on the outcome instead of the process. 
how often in life, if you're listening to this, how often in life are you getting so worked up about outcome instead of just trusting your process or not even knowing your process, having a process in place? So I love that. I love those two examples you gave there. The force, which is something you've talked about the whole way through, is not trying to force it all the time. Uh, The one for me that I keep coming back to, and I use this in lots of different areas, including when I'm coaching football, is I learned this from uh, the book Golf Flow. And the guy's, the author's name escaped me, but he talks about how often in a game of golf do you hit five good shots on one hole and then you maybe hit four good shots in the next or three or whatever and then you miss a putt or you duff a chip or and you walk off for the next 15, 20 minutes playing out that mistake in your head and thinking about what could have been instead of focusing on the 90% that was really good. And how often, again, we do that in life. We we go through a week of amazing stuff, but we just walk away thinking about that one mistake. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's a very good point. It happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you're, you're right. It is such a – you said you use personal development in golf, but it is uh, – it is a personal development process, golf. It can be uh, – it'll highlight oh, yeah. all of your uh, fears, insecurities, frustrations like nothing else. Uh, that's a good one. Um, Andrew, you mentioned some of the things you've done in the past. Can you give us a bit of a snapshot of what you do now and where people can find you? Yeah, so what I do now is I work with high achievers, whether they're you're at a management level or running your own business. Um who are feeling the effects of stress and burnout on their performance. And with everything that I've shared and and more in this conversation, what I help them to do is to rest, regenerate and refocus without needing to stop doing business, Uh, which is a fear for a lot of them that I'm I'm slowing down, that I'm gonna have to slow down, that I'm gonna have to stop. Uh, But with with what I teach and the ways that I, I go about emotional release and surrender, yeah, it allows them to to let everything move through so that clarity is what they're left with rather than clarity is something that they need to keep chasing. Um, so they get the rest, the regeneration and the refocus without needing to stop doing business, which has the adverse effect of um, improving performance or allowing them to maintain their current level of performance. Mm, I love that. Because that would be one of the uh, objections, right? I haven't got time for this, so I, don't, I can't slow down. But you're actually saying you can help them to shift that without slowing down and without everything grinding to a halt. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. Good man. And uh, where's the best place for people to find you, Andrew? Uh, best place would be to jump onto the website, www.andrewdpierce.com, because uh, from there there's, there's links to all my other socials, a bunch of freebies, uh, so there's some video and written content, ways to work with me, all that type of stuff. Good man. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, is there anything else you'd love to share as a as a parting message to the listeners around their own growth? The, the last thing, which is a, a principle to go by in your internal world, is you've got to be honest with yourself. Um, at the, at the exact moment, like at this in this time, I'm being honest with myself about some things that I that I want to create that I just don't actually believe in. If I'm being really honest with myself, uh, rather than being overly positive or overly optimistic, 
in a deluded sense that denies where your current personal truth is. And so just as an alcoholic that denies that alcoholism will never recover because they deny the existence of the problem in the first place, if, for example, you're someone who loves the law of attraction and totally believes in it but struggles to manifest, you don't really believe in it as much as you like to think that you do and you need to start with your honesty there or else you never bring light or attention or awareness to the fact that you're like, I like to think the law of attraction works, but if I'm being honest with myself, no, I don't actually think that it works. I think you've got to slog your way through life. Um, without that honesty, for that one example, that person will never get there, they'll never release it from their body, and they'll continue to perpetuate the same experience that they're trying to get out of. Love that. So full transparency and self-honesty is the way to go. It's the way to go, man. That's a great way for us to wrap that up. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. So much wisdom shared today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ian. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, mate. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.